Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. Paolo Fregamini, co-founder and CEO of Supply Socket Company. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Hey, thanks for having me. Paolo, lots to talk about here. I'm excited for this conversation. You're doing some interesting work in the field of true decentralization. Uh, but just a second, I want to talk a little bit about what's happening uh, in markets right now. Uh, let's take a look at CPI. Uh, this came out this morning, as you can see, 4.9% year-over-year CPI. I'm going to keep this short and sweet today. Uh, basically, Inflation accelerated less than expected, slightly less than expected. It's down slightly from last month, uh, but the reality is it's still far too high, significantly above the Fed's 2% target. By the way, we should say we're looking at CPI, that's Consumer Price Index, out today. PCE, personal consumption expenditures, is the number that the Fed looks at, but it's pretty close proxy, uh, and it's closely watched. Let's take a look at what's happening in digital asset markets, Bitcoin and Ethereum specifically. Bitcoin bounced up a little bit on the news, uh, trading above 28,000, 28,178 on my screen right now. Make of that what you will. Uh, the expectation perhaps of a worse print, a bit of a relief rally there. Tough to say, but that's the data. Up right now about almost 3% on a trailing 24-hour basis. Seven days, basically flat. It's off about half of 1%. If we take a look at Ethereum, uh, Ethereum, uh, as you see on that chart, very similar pattern there. Probably no surprise reacting on the same news. Trailing 24 hours up about 2%. Seven days, also roughly flat, but in the opposite direction, up about 1%. Not a whole lot going on there. Uh, in terms of the longer term picture uh, for the last seven days about what's been happening in these digital asset markets. With all that said, let's jump back into something that's a little bit more substantive, a little bit more on the infrastructure side. We love builders here at Real Vision. Uh, Paolo, welcome again. Tell us a little bit about supply socket and socket supply and what you guys do. Yeah, sure. So we build an open source uh, project that helps web developers to create applications for any OS, so native applications. And uh, that means uh, the average web developer who uses HTML, CSS, JavaScript, they can build an application, a native application for Android, iOS, uh, Linux, Windows, Mac OS, basically anything. Um, and, uh, and, and there's nothing really new to learn. The, the, the skills that they already have are the are the skills that uh, are all the skills that they need, um, and so uh, so so we we create this framework uh, for doing this, and um, and I think that what's pretty interesting is that um, the the thing that people generally want to do after they build an app is to connect their users together, and so we have kind of a novel way of doing this, which is uh, making peer-to-peer -peer capabilities available as native JavaScript APIs to the average web developer. 
So this is a, an important point, I think, for people to understand. I guess people with technical backgrounds already understand that. But let's talk a little bit and explain why exactly this is so important. So what you talk about, uh, the basic tools, uh, HTML, JavaScript, CSS, these are the basic core tools for doing web development wherever uh, you're doing it. If it's going to appear rendered in a browser, those are basically the tools that you need uh, to do that. What's interesting here about what you guys are doing conceptually is trying to figure out how to plug in uh, this type of development architecture into a true peer-to-peer -peer system. This, I think, is what uh, confuses a lot of folks about the space because it's interesting. We talk a lot about decentralization in the digital asset cryptocurrency space, uh, but most of what's happening out there runs on uh, as software as a service on these very large cloud farms. That means uh, Microsoft Azure, it means Google, uh, it means uh, all of the big companies that have dominated Silicon Valley for many years now. Uh, and this transition to a peer-to-peer -peer network in terms of the back end, I think is probably a critical one. This may seem surprising to people because people think of uh, Bitcoin as a decentralized network. They think of Ethereum as a decentralized network, but the compute power is in fact running on these very large server farms. Let's talk a little bit about the solution that you guys are proposing in terms of attempting, attempting to make that a more true peer-to-peer -peer experience. Yeah, so our team is made up of quite a few uh, browser engineers, people who've, who have been contributing and hacking on browsers probably the ones most people are using right now, uh, whether it's Chrome or whether it's WebKit, um, you know, based, based browser. Um, so, you know, we've taken the core of the browser engine, uh, which is, uh, which is an OS component. And then we've, we've added peer native peer to peer capabilities to that. And what that means is that, you know, like I said, the average JavaScript developer can use a really simple API that should be familiar. Uh, should shouldn't be very very much to learn, and what they can do is they can connect with other peers in the network, and uh, and they can completely circumvent the cloud. They don't need the cloud at all. There's no servers required for the solution, um, and you know along with that we've made uh, you know a, a put in a lot of effort to make sure that there's that it's secure and that it works in terms of people needing to communicate even when other peers are offline, right? So one of the big misnomers people have, uh, misconceptions people have uh, about peer-to-peer -peer is they think that if other people who they're trying to do peer-to-peer -peer with aren't online, then it doesn't work. But that's no longer the case. So uh, I can build Let's an application. Let's explain a little bit what peer-to-peer -peer is for folks who may not sure. know. I mean, I yeah. think, you know, for myself and people of my generation, we first heard this terminology around Napster in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, and mm -hmm. what's interesting about these networks, I suppose at the time, uh, what got most of the attention was the idea of uh, people circumventing copyright law. This was, of course, a, mm -hmm. uh, a very big problem for the music industry. Uh, but the core technology of peer-to-peer, -peer, I think, was really interesting to people conceptually, particularly in the field of computer science, because essentially you had a network uh, where the larger it grew, the faster and more robust it became. Uh, this being very much the opposite of the traditional centralized model, uh, where when more people try and pile in to download something, for example, the network becomes strained. But with peer peer to peer, you essentially have uh, a series of nodes connected as well peers on the network, and as people join, it becomes more robust and it becomes faster. This is a, a huge leap, I think, in terms of the uh, mechanisms for distributing information on the internet. Uh, and also, in many ways, many see it as something that's potentially freeing from these very large uh, Silicon Valley behemoths uh, that now control the cloud market. 
Yeah, right. So the the cloud is uh, you know a set of servers that's owned generally by a, a handful of incumbents, and it's a landlord tenant relationship, right? Uh, right. You you want to build a product, you go to the cloud and you lease the uh, services that you need, and uh, and and you know you end up building yourself into that lease for basically the lifetime of your product, right? So as your the demand for your product grows, so does the cost of running it. And so this is uh, th this is prohibitive in a lot of cases for entrants into, you know, competing in certain spaces, right? I mean, if you look at the the cost of running something like Twitter, I mean, it's absolutely massive. I don't even right. think Elon was able to pay his cloud bill at one point. <laughs> a and there have been, been a bunch of uh, stories written here in the last couple of days about the cost of running ChatGPT, for example. Yeah, uh, which yeah. is uh, also massively processor intensive, as you might imagine. Right. So a lot of these things, and and especially the things that are you know the basic kind of day-to-day -day things like chats or um, or things like Twitter. These are in incredibly good candidates to for for peer-to-peer -peer, uh, because you know they 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 don't need servers. They don't need the cloud to to um, to work. And so um, so what we've done is we've put together this uh, this this open source uh, which has been highly peer-reviewed and um, you know we're. We're starting to see early adopters start to build things with it, and we're starting to see people realize that they don't need the cloud to build a lot of the things that they're building today. And I think that this is, uh, in particular, this is really well suited for for DeFi types of things. So, as you said, let's, we're seeing let's a lot of click on that because that's really yeah. a huge paradigm shift. This idea that people do not need to distribute uh, software in the cloud—that is the overwhelming dominant paradigm of the way Silicon Valley runs here in 2023. And this notion uh, that individuals running peer-to-peer browser-based networks can uh, supplant that really is a, a just a, it's a huge shift in the way business gets done. Yeah, it's pretty transformative for a lot of people. So, you know, you think about like the largest cost for most people running any kind of software business, uh, it's cloud. And it's not just the cloud bill itself, but it's all the SREs, all the DevOps engineers, all the time spent, all the time putting and debugging the glue that you know puts all of these services together. And so you know, there's a mountain of hidden costs associated with that, and then the risk certainly of you know operating a business where you know um, you know a third party kind of owns everything that you've built, and in such a way where you 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 really can't practically move it um, after it's been built. I mean, people talk about multi-cloud, but you know. Um, Multi-cloud isn't really that practical, um, and so you know the at the end of the day, the biggest problem really is the man in the middle, right? So having this kind of central uh, figure who uh, is really in between you and your product and and your users, um, it's a it's a big liability in terms of uh, security and and privacy, and so you know there's 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 that, and I think for us. Really, what's interesting is the um, the the reduction in the cost, making it possible for people to enter new new uh, as as entrants into a new space, and then just the complexity. So, you know, building software these days just means this enormous amount of effort and in, and and uh, hours spent, right? And I think when we're talking about something like like DeFi, right, the the D in DeFi is really important, right? We 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 want to achieve decentralization, so we we kind of already understand why decentralization is important. Um, but you know, this is a broadly applicable thing. Pretty much anybody in any space can benefit. But I think maybe it's it's pretty interesting to talk about why DeFi in particular um, could could benefit from 
from, from building uh, peer-to-peer software. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. And well, let's talk about DeFi in just one second, but obviously this is an important goal and it's a very big one and an audacious one at that. Uh, but let's talk about some of the risks here before we talk about the specific use case of DeFi. Uh, I'm curious uh, in terms of a couple of things. First, uh, where are you in this being actually deployable? And second, uh, what are the risks that you see in doing this? Uh, for example, security, scalability, load balancing, all the traditional cloud uh, based parameters that people think about. Uh, how does this actually work in terms of the security model, first and foremost? Uh, I assume that this somehow uses the PKI, the public key infrastructure, uh, to do encryption. But talk a little bit about what makes developers feel secure that their applications are running uh, in secure sockets, in secure spaces on the computers that are being scaled throughout this peer to peer network. Yeah, well, there's quite a bit to unpack there. But in terms of um, the individual applications and the network itself being secure, um, all of the packets that are distributed to, into the network are obviously encrypted. And, uh, and, and there's a couple of different types of, in, of, of encryption schemes that you can opt into because there is no one size fits all solution for encryption. Uh, if you need, for example, point to point, or if you, I mean, there's different, there's different schemes that you'll, you'll, you potentially need to opt into. So, um, so yeah, it's not one size fits all. And so the, um, the packets, as they're deployed into the network, they, they're encrypted and uh, the peers that, uh, that relay those packets, if they relay them, then they're not able to see what's in them without the public and private keys. And so it makes it possible to create this network, this global network of, of sort of shared responsibility so that if some users in the network are offline, then other users in the network who may not be directly related to them can continue to uh, to to support the the delivery of those packets. And this, so this isn't is a really kind of, something. This is a kind of dynamic load balancing that you guys are able to do because yeah, it's a distributed load balancing. Yeah. yeah, and and we didn't necessarily invent this particular aspect of this. This is a well researched, um, really kind of um, widely known academic research space called uh, uh, disruption tolerant networks and. A uh, disruption tolerant network, or sometimes uh, it's called the delay tolerant network, was really um, has been researched for the last 20 years. And so, what I'm talking about in particular is uh, buffer uh, network buffer optimizations. So, being able to support uh, data peer to peer, even when some of the peers in the network are offline, and make sure that that data is always encrypted until it gets to the party that was intended to be reached. And let me ask you this, you mentioned this idea of not necessarily building all this technology. Uh, to what extent were you guys able to leverage existing technology for the network uh, distribution layer uh, and also for the security model? Uh, I think it's probably uh, something that people think about in terms of the existing security. Is this something that you had to build sort of out of the box or were you able to leverage different layers that have already been put together? Yeah, so this is a, an, unfortunately, you know, we surveyed the peer-to-peer -peer landscape uh, in terms of libraries, and we, we really didn't find anything that was comprehensive in terms of NAT traversal, which means you're being able to discover and then connect to other peers. We really weren't able to find anything that existed that was comprehensive and, and really worked really well in that space. And then in, in, in terms of also having a well-defined specification that deeply detailed how it worked. Um, we just didn't see that. We didn't find that. And we know really kind of everybody in this space and who's working on it. 
And um, so, you know, we started from a first principles uh, kind of ground up mission to, you know, go out and read all of the uh, you know, prior work that's been published. A lot of really interesting stuff has come out of, um, you know, various universities, really nicely peer reviewed uh, papers that have been published that we were able to to read and to source uh, or to, to cite as a material that we based our solution off of. So, you know, not a, not a, a ton of it is, is novel. We, we were able to use a, a well-known corpus of, of research work to, to base this off of, but there, but it certainly wasn't like, you know, going out and building a SaaS product where you say, okay, we'll use a little of this and some of this and then some of that, and we'll, you know, we'll put it together and we'll have a product. But we had to, yeah, really think about this from the ground up. Um, and there are That's some great. areas where it's slightly novel. Um, because, you know, like I said, this, this, a solution like this hasn't really existed before. Um, so, so, so that's, you know, that's where we're at with this. Um, it's, it's in the, it's in, the, it's in coming out of the alpha stage into the beta stage. We've, there's, there's people building products with it. There's people who are, who are using it, uh, to, um, you know, who, who are the sort of brave early adopters. Um, but, uh, but it's, but it's working pretty well for them. And so we're, we're also working with, um, you know, everybody in, from the, the public sector to the private sector, um, pri public sector obviously is interested in this because, you know, this allows them to get away from, uh, you know, the, the dependency of the, uh, of, of, uh, you know, GovCloud, which is nice that it's air gapped and it's nice that it's uh, fairly secure, but the problem with it is, is that. Um, you know, it, it, it still represents a lot of complexity and the time to go from, you know, the idea that you have to something that's deployed and, and working and doesn't require any uh, additional infrastructure, server infrastructure is really appealing. Um, and so, right. um, yeah. Really interesting stuff. I just want to invite our viewers to join us in this conversation. Please, if you're watching or listening, put down your questions in the chat wherever you're watching. We'll make sure to ask the best ones on air. Remember, Real Vision members take priority, but the good news is that Real Vision crypto is always free. You can go to realvision.com forward slash crypto to sign up. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto to sign up. And of course, if you're watching on YouTube, please tweet this link out so we can share this conversation. We're committed to keeping this conversation free and we want to get it out to as many people as we possibly can. Of course, you can follow me at Ash Bennington on Twitter and please follow Real Vision at Real Vision. Okay, with all that said, Paolo, uh, let's talk a little bit about the use case, the application that you mentioned at the top of the show, which of course is DeFi. Why are peer-to-peer -peer networks especially well-suited to DeFi applications in your view? Well, so I think that one of the biggest problems that people face um, when they're building, uh, you know, products in in, uh, in DeFi is that you know they're building they end up having to build SaaS, and that's really not it's not the dream. You know, the dream is really to build a piece of software that you know, doesn't rely on these centralized systems like um, you know like DNS or like web hosting, um, like services like AWS, uh, where you know they end up in a landlord tenant kind of situation, um, and so you know. Obviously, the the autonomy is really important for these kinds of products, um, the 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 sort of sovereignty. But also, I think you know when we look at what are the potential margins from products like this, they're you know they're they're already you know um, uh, you know not necessarily super high. So what what we would love to be able to do is to uh, make sure that we're not you know spending on you know operational costs like the cloud and that we're focused on uh, you know top of line or that we're focused on the features that really attract users that make them you know uh, that make the product irresistible you know that that kind of that's where we should be spending the uh, the time and energy and the and the capital right 
and um, and so yeah, so I, I think that the autonomy and and the, the the cost. I mean, especially you know we call it DeFi, right? Um, should be decentralized. So um, so this is really this is really kind of helping to deliver on that uh, and make that come to fruition. Hey everyone, we're gonna take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Let me ask you this. Uh, let's talk about something that we haven't covered yet, which is the model for monetization for this. Uh, how is this going to be supported uh, in terms of the processing power? How are you gonna incentivize people to do this? I know that you guys don't have a token. You said it earlier in the show. This is really a first principles-based project really uh, something that you're thinking about from a raw computer science perspective. But what's the model to incentivize behavior users to run these services? Right. So um, so we don't necessarily, as a company, try to incentivize anybody. But what we can do is we can offer the protocol, the, the, the runtime, which, which web developers can use to build the software and then connect the users. And, and everybody who joins the network using this runtime keeps a small cache of packets and that small cache of packets adds up to a lot. So um, if you compare, say, for example, um, Amazon has roughly 3 million servers, but there's about 15 billion mobile devices in the world. And obviously those are a lot less powerful than those 3 million servers that Amazon has, but they add up. They also have slower so, connections, significantly slower. Oh, yeah. Connections. Yeah. And, and when you think about mobile devices, I mean, they're, they're absolutely unreliable. They're on for very short amounts of time. Um, they have varying degrees of, of, uh, of capabilities. They may have less storage or less battery at, at, at any particular time. Um, but all of these statistically add up to uh, a pretty powerful network at the, at the size of the, at, at the, at volume. And so... Um, so if your application, like say, for instance, you build a, an Instagram clone, or if you build some kind of social media and you attract only, you know, maybe uh, half a million users, well, it's not very many users, but, um, but with that many users, they'll all be able to support each other, uh, to, to deploy packets into the network and, and keep the information alive mm. and for, for as long as it needs to be alive. And so... Um, it's sort of a, a, a shared a network of shared responsibility, and so there isn't really a need to have a token in this. Now, um, there's certainly um, the potential for people to build products that incentivize people to store more data. Um, so, for instance, if you had something like a Filecoin or if you had something like a an Arweave, um, you may want to build uh, with that on top of Socket. And if you did, you you may you know, find that you know your users are more likely to um, to accept larger to to cache more data on their devices, and so there's a really big opportunity for people to build with protocols like that. Um, but obviously, um, you know, when it comes to DeFi, uh, us thinking about the different types of UIs that can be built with this, uh, user interfaces that can be built with this, without needing um, without needing websites or without needing URLs that can be taken down or, 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 uh, or can be, uh, uh, somebody can say that you're, that you're not allowed to be running this service anymore. That's just something that, uh, that we don't really face with, with Socket. So do you, in essence, then see this uh, as a potential alternative to DNS to domain name servers that currently resolve the names of websites to IP addresses? Essentially, does it replace some of the architecture of the existing web itself? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, this isn't really necessarily new. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we've been seeing, you know, competition between the web and native apps for a very long time, right? And, um, and what, we're, what we're really doing is we're saying, okay, we're, we're, having, we're inviting web developers to build native apps, but then we're also giving them some of the existing, uh, well, pretty much all of the characteristics of the web as it is today, right? The ability to link between applications, that's something that you can do with Socket. Um, the the mm. ability to build with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and not have to learn anything new. Um, but then, you know, the ability to do that all without DNS or without any, any kind of web hosting, um, that's, that's really the, the big change. But all of the other things should really remain pretty familiar to everybody. And how far away do you see this from being implemented in terms of when uh, folks can actually expect, if they're listening to this, uh, to deploy on uh, a sockets like this uh, so that you can truly ro start running applications in peer-to-peer? -peer? Yeah, you can, you can start building with this today. Today it works. And, and how long do you project it will be? You mentioned uh, earlier, you called them brave alpha users uh, before this would be something that would be ready for prime time in terms of deploying industrial strength applications in a peer-to-peer -peer methodology. Yeah, um, so the reason why we are you know, not, uh, you know, the reason why we're in beta at the moment is because we like to be cautiously optimistic. We, you know, we, we think that everything is working out pretty well, um, but uh, you know, it, it, it takes uh, rigor to make something like this a very uh, you know, viable um, solution for replacing traditional infrastructure. Traditional infrastructure has uh, a lot of boxes to tick uh, to be able to say, yes, we can replace this reliably. Um, and so, you know, right. that, that, that takes, uh, it takes rigor um, to measure those types of, um, you know, the, the types of latencies that people have expectations about and all of that's looking really good. And when we can, uh, can create some uh, quantitative, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, data for people to, to look at those, that's when, you know, decision makers at some of the larger you know, fortune companies will you know, start to take notice and say, okay, like maybe this isn't just for you know, startups and, and adventurous, you know, DeFi folks anymore, you know, maybe we can start to take some of this on and, and replace some of our traditional infrastructure uh, in, in, you know, larger legacy or, or fortune companies. Really interesting stuff, Paolo. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground here, obviously a lot of technical material. I think you've really framed up uh, very elegantly, uh, your case at least, for how a true peer-to-peer -peer decentralized web would function. You've talked a lot about uh, the implications for DeFi. Final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our viewers and listeners with from this conversation. Well, I think <coughs> uh, it'd be great to see, you know, the, the, uh, um, the, the people who are out there building solutions um, really freed from the constraints and the costs of, and the complexity of the cloud. And so I know that a lot of people, you know, will probably say, okay, well, you know, what is the risk? Uh, you know, how, how much friction is there gonna be in adopting something like this? And that's something that we've considered really carefully, you know, by giving people the familiar, the technology that they already understand and know really well, Right, so front end, all your favorite front end frameworks work with Socket, uh, and and as I said, you can be the average web developer and come along and start building this way. And so, what I what I would love for people uh, people to see is you know to to come out uh, to come over and try you know, go to our GitHub um, Socket Supply slash Socket, and um, you know just 
come over and, and try it out and see that, you know, it's very, very, very similar to the workflows that you're already familiar with and, um, and, and start experimenting with, you know, uh, with, with the potential, you know, building, building a whole new class of, of software with peer to peer. Really interesting stuff. Paolo Frego, many, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. That's it for today. Remember to sign up for Real Vision Crypto. Once again, as always, it's free. Go to realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto to sign up now. Join us again tomorrow. We'll have the leaders of Swarm with us live to talk about tokenizing capital markets. See you at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. in London. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great afternoon. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.